Good morning, church. Now, the people on the left are just as nice as the people on the right. It's a little lopsided, and just because you vote right doesn't mean you have to sit on the right. You can sit on the left. It's okay. It's totally okay. And if you vote left, you can sit on the right. We can mix it up. We like each other. We're all family here. Anywho, uh, my name's Simon. I'm one of the pastors. Glad that you came to worship with us this morning. Uh, last week I was gone. I was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee and hung around there. Super fun. And I was with friends from high school. Um, and so if you have friends that have known you since high school and you're older, it's a lot of fun. And you revert to being dumb kids and you laugh and you joke and you remember memories. And as we were talking, I was laughing so much. We kept talking about all these times where we should have died. Like, literally, there's things that you do in life, whether you're trying to jump a vehicle or sink a vehicle, or you're jumping off of houses or jumping off of bridges. I don't know why I'm jumping off of so many things growing up, but climbing things without any protection. Uh, I remember being chased by wild animals, getting into bow and arrow fights. That's a story for another day. But legitimately, all these things, I'm like, I should have died many, many times. And I look back and go, God, in spite of my stupidity, you have saved me and protected me from dangers that have existed in my life at some point. And there's danger kind of all around us. Now, when I worked in the trades, I worked uh, as a heating air conditioning mechanic on industrial equipment. I worked at NASA Ames, if you know where that's at. It's all the big wind tunnels that they don't use anymore because they've all been outdated. But we worked in an area... And uh, there were things that we worked around all the time that were extremely dangerous. Lots of dangers wherever we were. Sometimes you could see like, well, that's a spinning blade. Don't put your hand in there. It'll chop it off. Sometimes you were in areas where there were dangers and you had no idea that there was danger there. Now, in the 1860s and the 1870s, this amazing material was discovered that was used in construction. It was, it was the wonder material. It's called asbestos. It's an amazing material. It's very hardy. It was very easy to come by. It was relatively inexpensive. It was a fantastic insulator, and they would use it in paint and in walls and in wires, everywhere. But as time went on, they started to realize that there was this problem with asbestos. As amazing as it was, it would kill you. And they realized, oh no, in the 30s, they're like, not only are the fibers bad for your lungs when it gets into your lungs and it'll cut up your lungs, it also causes cancer. And so it took from the 30s to about the 80s to finally ban using it and to outlaw it. And so we would go to these facilities at NASA because it's a very old building and there was asbestos everywhere. And any time that we had to work on those projects, it was, all right, full Tyvek suit with the hoodie and the booties and the gloves and the eye protection and the respirators just to work around it so we wouldn't be in danger or get it on our stuff and take it home and put our kids in danger. So you're like, why are we talking about asbestos and the problems of asbestos? Because the reality is this, what seemed to be one of the greatest things in the world for construction and industry ended up being one of the worst things that we could have done. What we thought would be good for us turned out to be dangerous and would kill us over time. And that is just where we land today with John as we're walking through this passage. 
Now, John is an older man now. He knows what is dangerous. He has a perspective that not all of us have, and he wants to share that with the men and women that he's writing the letter to in Ephesus, but he also wants to communicate that to any Christian, that there are dangers that lie in wait for those that love Jesus. And he wants us to know that the world's standards, what the world values, what the world says is good, right, and true is like asbestos in our lives, and we must run from it. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. You're like, only two verses. It's going to be a short morning. Boy, do I have some bad news for you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, if you'd like a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. They're brand new. It's a gift for you if you want a Bible to read, to know God's Word, to have God's Word. You want to use your phone. If you want to use your own Bible, you want to follow along, whatever you want to do. But we want you to be comfortable as we go through God's Word. So starting in verse 15, it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning where we could come and open your word, where we could be under your good and perfect and true word. If you truly are the God of light, then you are the God of truth. And if you are the God of truth, you are communicating what is best for us. So I ask that you would open our eyes to areas to maybe where we're starting to move in a direction away from your truth, and we're calling something that isn't truth, truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me this morning that I wouldn't be a hindrance to your word touching the lives of men and women, but I would be a conduit that you would work through today. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Now, there's something important to note. So all these different uh, apostles in the Bible kind of started gathering these nicknames over time. And John has one, and maybe you know what it is, but we're going we're gonna to test our Bible trivia. John is known as the apostle of... Look at you, gold star, gold star, gold star. Yeah, he's known as the apostle of love. He's always saying you need to love other people. You need to be loving in this way. You need to show the love of Christ. You want to be like Christ and show love. And here's something crazy that's going to happen. For the first time ever, John is going to say, don't love. It's kind of a big deal. The guy who's always saying, love, 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 says, don't love. So we need to pause and think, what is he really saying to us that's so important? Now, maybe you've picked up on this series we've gone along that John's kind of come in. I don't want to use the term aggressive. I don't think he's being aggressive, but he's intense. He has a lot of things that he wants to communicate in a very short letter. He's not beating around the bush. He's getting right to the point. And he's kind of like, hey, here's some things that need to change. Here's some things that we need to do. Here's some ways that we need to realign our life with Jesus. And what ends up happening is I think that he needs to pull back a little bit for a second. And so last week, when Matt uh, preached through the section, I think it was uh, 7 through 14, he went through it. And uh, by the way, Matt did a great job bringing God's word to us. So super grateful for him. But verses 12 through 14 actually are a poem. 
John goes from like, here's what needs to happen, here's where you need to be, and he shifts to this poem. And this poem is actually really important for us to understand what he's doing, because he's pulling back and he wants to bring encouragement to the men and women that are hearing this message. And so he says, I need you to remember who you are in Jesus. I need you to understand the deep spiritual theological truths that apply to you. If you've placed your life in the life of Christ, there are things about you now that didn't exist. And so I want to give you six things uh, just to hear. One, our sins are forgiven. Like, can we just... Can we sit in that for a second? Our sins are forgiven. The sins that we've committed, the sins committed against us. Those sins that kept us in bondage, that we were enslaved to, we are no longer slaves to those sins. We no longer fear God's wrath because God poured out his wrath on Jesus as our substitution. So we don't have to fear God when we come to him if we place our life in the life of Christ. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a celebration. Two, we have overcome the evil one. We didn't do the work, but Jesus did the work on the cross. He overcame the evil one, the one that is trying to shipwreck our lives, the one that is trying to distract us from being in relationship with the one true God of the universe. He has overcome the evil one. The battle has been won. When he said, it is finished, he meant it. He took care of it. Satan has no ability to win. It is over. He has done it. Three, we can know Jesus and we can know the Father because of the cross. Where once we weren't able to know the Father because we were separated from him because of sin. Where once where we had no intimacy with God, no relationship, no fellowship, no interaction. Now we do. We know the Son. And he says, if you know the Son, you know the Father. We can know the Father. We can be engaged with him all the time. Four, we can now grow in maturity. You may think, well, what's the big deal? We couldn't before. With our old hearts, our old sinful hearts, we didn't have the ability to mature. The Bible would say that we were dead in our trespasses, that we had hearts of stone that did not beat. Now we have a new heart empowered by the Holy Spirit, which allows us to grow in maturity, become more and more like Jesus, taking off the old self, ridding ourselves of the things that hold us back, and becoming more like Christ as we move into the world. Five, we are children of the eternal God. Can I just say something like, and I I get it, we all come from different backgrounds, okay? We all have different backgrounds, and we all have had a very different example of what a father looks like. So sometimes I'll use the word father, and and that you're like, ugh, I don't like that term. I didn't have that example. That was a poor example. But God is a perfect God, and he loves his children. He cares for his children. He protects his children. He watches out for them. He provides for them. He is the perfect father. 
and he has gone to great lengths to give us access. You know what's great? As a, as a child and you have a parent, you have access that other people don't have. You can rush into a room and you don't care. Like, that's my dad. That's, I can just run in there. That's how God is with us. He wants us to come to him all the time and that he is the eternal God. He has all things in his hand and that's the God that loves us. Like, most people don't have control over anything, but we have a Father who has control over all things. And He loves us. Six, that Jesus abides in you. And His truth is your new life. That gives us victory over Satan. And we have Christ in us. We are connected to that which gives life. We can have life because we're connected to life. These are just truths. And so John wants us to know this. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to experience that because here's the thing. With all these things that are like, this is wrong and we should be doing this and we should be doing that, it can feel heavy, right? It feels like there's a burden at times and all that heaviness can feel like I can't do anything. And what he's doing is, I want you to understand who you are in Jesus now. And no matter what the world does, no matter what it throws at you, no matter what circumstance you're going through, it is all worth it because we worship Jesus and Jesus is God. That's important for them to remember. But he also wants to snap back to danger and where danger's at. And in verse 15, he says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It seems very simple, right? It seems kind of straightforward, but we need to do just a little bit of work. We need to understand a little bit, because if if we don't do a little bit of work, this can actually lead us to really bad theology. It can help us, it would make us live in such a way that God doesn't want us to live. And so we need to understand what he's really saying here. Because if we're not careful, we can say, oh, love of the world, that's bad, don't do that. I'm going to go find a cave, I'm going to grab a bunch of rations, I'm going I'm to roll the stone behind me, and I'm going to hide in a cave and avoid the world, because the world is evil and horrible and bad, and so I can't be around it. Ah, oh, what do I do? I can't even go camping now. I can't enjoy the nature. I can't enjoy what God has for me. I can't watch movies. I can't read books. Can't go to a coffee shop. That's evil. Ah! But if we think this way... It's problematic. But we also know that God has clearly said that this is not what it is. If, as Jesus was praying, praying for us actually, he took time and prayed for us before he went to the cross. And he says this in verse, uh, John chapter 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is like, don't take them out of the world. I, I need them there. Why? I need my followers to be a light in a dark place. But what he does say is protect them from the evil one. Don't let them fall into the trap that we're all so susceptible to, which is believing the world and what it says. He's like, we can't get there. So what does he mean? When he talk, like, what does he mean when he talks about this? When he talks about the word world, What he means is the world's system, meaning the world's values, what the world's morals would say are right and wrong, what the world believes, what it says you should believe. 
and the people of this world who are making those things up as they go along. Now, let me be clear. This is a problem right now. I watch this more and more and more as I walk through this life. As I talk to Christians, what I hear more often than not is I hear Christians quoting what the world calls good, right, and perfect all the time. They'll say things without even knowing what they're saying. Now, there's a couple of statements that I make fun of all the time, and I'm going to keep doing it until Jesus comes back or you fire me. But I'm going to keep making fun of this because we need to understand that there's a problem. When you hear, you just got to follow your heart. You just got just to gotta believe in yourself. You got to chase that arrow. You got you to get after it. Like, you are a beautiful snowflake. You just got to do what makes you happy. Just do it. It's crazy how that is the furthest thing from biblical truth that we have from, like, our old heart is the reason why sin is here. It's the reason why we kept saying, like, you don't follow your heart. That leads to death. That leads to problems. Don't do that. Like, well, do whatever makes you happy. There's a lot of things I did as a teenager that made me happy that I'm not doing anymore. And you're like, me too. Yeah. Just because it feels good temporarily doesn't mean it's good for you long term, right? Can I get an amen from somebody? (laughs) Thank you. All of these thoughts and these ideas are just contrary to what the word says. And it's, I, again, I don't think it's always intentional. The problem is this. You don't know what God's word says. So how are you going to fight the lies of the world if you don't actually know what God says to these things? Like, we, we, we have to know. And here's the thing. Your mind will accept whatever data is being thrown at you. And the world is dumping data constantly. It is screaming at you to believe, think, feel, act, and do what it says is right. And if you are not tempering that with God's word, you will never know when things are, you're like, I've done it. I people say, oh, that's just karma. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Like that, we, we say those things. Like, Good luck. Do you believe in luck? Or do you believe in God's sovereignty? Like, you're just being a stickler. Am I? But this is what we do. We hear these things and we start to repeat them. You might say, well, Simon, I got a verse. I mean, you like to combat verses. I got a verse. God says I love the world. I got the big one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the Boom. What are you going to do with that, preacher boy? thought about it. I came prepared. <laughs> this is what, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave, so God so loved the world's people. He loved the people, not what they were doing. If he liked what they were doing, he wouldn't have to come and send his son, right? Like that's the whole point. He's saying, I love you so much, you're lost so much, you're so blind to what you're doing that I love you that I'm going to send my son to go in your place because you don't even know, you're so blind, you have no idea what you're doing. You're so lost, you're crawling around trying to find joy and happiness and peace in your life, but you don't even know what you're doing. So he's saying, I love the people of this world that I would give my very best, that I would give my son in your place. That's what he's saying. 
But then he says this really profound thing in the second part of chapter 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a big statement. And what he's saying is this. You can't have two worldviews and act like they're totally going to work out. You can't. You can't do that. You can't say that God is right and at the same time say God is wrong. If you do that, then if God is wrong, that makes him a liar. If he's a liar, he's sinful. If he's sinful, then he can't be God. Like, it's just basic moving down the line. Like, everything leads someplace. If you say that, it's like, you're calling God a liar. And God's like, I'm not. I'm perfect. I'm full of truth. I am perfect in every way. You cannot move down that road. It would cease to make him God. As followers of Christ, you got to be all in or all out. You're like, well, that doesn't work in the real world. Let me paint you a picture that might make you understand this a little bit more. Standing at the altar. That was a great day for me. A lot of bugs in my eyes. I got teary-eyed. All the bugs out in my eyes made me very weepy. But I remember standing there and you gave your vows. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to love, to endure, through sickness, through in health, through good times, through in bad times, forsaking all others? And if I was like, sometimes. <laughs> Could you imagine how quickly that wedding would be ended? <laughs> like, just like, she didn't want to share me, and I don't want to share her. I'm giving my whole self to her. She's all my, I, I don't want to share you with anybody, and actually being jealous for my wife in that way is good. Like, we become one flesh, as the Bible would say, and that one flesh isn't going to have any opportunity for any other flesh to be involved in that. And so the reality is like, I don't want to share her. She's like, and because she, she's a smart woman, she'd be like, if, if I'm not going to be your only, then you can't have me at all. See, that's how it is with God. He's not sharing you with anybody else. Or think about this. Let's say you were in a battle and you're like, these guys are the bad guys. And you're like, I'm going to get them. And then you get like halfway out. You're like, wait, no, these guys are the bad guys. And you start fighting against everybody. What's going to happen to you? Everyone's going to gun you down. See, that's, that's what's happening here. God's saying, like, there is no, you get to kind of pick and choose and create your own reality of who I am. It's either you're all in and you follow and listen and obey me and trust me, or you don't. The very thing that caused this separation from God is the very thing that we have to reject because it leads to death. We can have no affection for it. There can be no sympathy for the very thing that caused a separation with God. It would be as if you're like, oh, uh, I had cancer and I went to a surgeon and they cut me open and they pulled out this massive tumor. And they're like, hey, we did it. We got it out. And you're like, you know, I mean, it was kind of a part of me. Can you just like shove it back in and like get the blood going? Like, I, I like it. I should go. It's crazy. But when we, 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 we reject what God says is good and true for our lives and we turn back to the thing that was killing us, it's the exact same thing. You, you're literally turning from life to death when you do that, when you don't trust what God has called you to and you allow the world to speak these truths into your lives that aren't true. No affection, no desires. We must kill it. 
And he even says the things of the world. Oh, so God hates everything that he created? No. Doesn't, you got to realize, like, the things of this world, they're not meant to, to bring us purpose. They're not meant to bring us meaning. They don't bring us the life that we desire. They, they're not meant to fulfill us or satisfy us. You know how I know that? Because we pe- keep buying junk, right? So much we have. Well, I have, I have a storage unit. How much junk do you need that you have to store it in a different location? Well, it's all really good stuff. Is it? Your kids have to throw that away when you die. It's not cool, man. Luckily, I live far away and my brother had to do it for me. But it was like, it's not cool. He's like, that was the worst day ever. I'm like, I know. Thank you. Paul would talk about this very idea that the things of this world aren't meant to terminate in of, on themselves, right? Uh, in Romans 1, he talks about this. Uh, Romans 1, 22 and 23, he would say, um, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The whole point of everything that we see, that we get to experience, that we get to enjoy in this world was always meant to point to God, not terminate on itself. But we're so funny, and I'm so guilty of this. Ask my wife. I'm so guilty. I love shiny things. They're so distracting and pretty. I'm like, oh, I got to have this, and I got to have that. This will make me feel happy. And then like a week later, I'm like, oh, I need another shiny thing. That's who we are. We're so easily distracted. Chuck Swindoll said this, a uh, famous preacher, when we fall in love with the world, we fall out of love with God. See, and John, wants, what he wants to do is he wants to give us a picture of where these attacks come from and how these things play out. And there's three things that he kind of lays out in this scripture. One is the desire of the flesh Two is the desire of the eyes, and three is the pride of life. And I want to look at those really quick, and I want to kind of unpack those, and I want us to land in a spot today where we can just ask ourselves some just honest questions. That's all I really want to do is ask honest questions and let the Holy Spirit work. The desires of the flesh is the inside temptation. That what happens in our hearts. It's our passions. It's our desires. Uh, A better term would probably be cravings. Um. Living in Seattle, I got a different perspective on cravings. Uh, There's a lot of drug use in Seattle, just a tremendous amount of drug use. uh, And with the massive amount of homelessness that we saw, it just goes hand in hand. There are times when it doesn't, but for the most part, it's almost always in conjunction in that same time. And we watched a lot of men and women that were addicted to heroin. And watching them act the way they did. They would do anything for a hit to get to that high, to get to that place. doesn't matter what they had. They would sell themselves. They would sell somebody else out. They would hurt somebody. They would kill somebody. They would sell their firstborn. They would, and I'm not even like making things up. And then they would lie in the streets like zombies. A craving that they would do anything to get that thing. Same thing with an alcoholic looking for that drink. I just got it. It's not for pleasure. It's for something totally different. Paul would describe it this way as he talks through um, what this looks like. This, this passage for me, if you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction, if you've ever struggled with any kind of um, 
being stuck in a place and not knowing how to get free. And you're like, I don't know how to articulate how I feel and what's going on in my heart. I just, when I read this, I'm like, this guy gets me. Like, this guy understands where I'm at. Romans 7, uh, starting in verse 18 through 21. The, again, this is like a light bulb for me. Maybe it will be for you. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. So we're talking about the desires of the flesh. There's, there's the word. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Anyone ever felt that way? I want to do this, but I can't. And I keep doing the thing that I don't want to do. And you get stuck in that rut and you feel helpless and you feel broken and you don't feel like there's any way out. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. He wrote a majority of the New Testament. He saw Jesus. Like, this man, he gets it. He understands it. You might be saying, well, like, what, is, what are the, the desires of the flesh? What are these things? And like, I, I need a list. That list helped me understand. And so he, later on, Paul would write to the Galatians laying out what these desires of the flesh are. So we don't have to guess. But in Galatians 5, 17 through 21, he's going to tell us what it is. And there's a tension here. We need to understand the tension. So I'm going to kind of preload before I get to the actual verse. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So the things that we want are against the Spirit of God. So there's a, there's a conflict there. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Keep that in mind. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, some of those words are like, those are big words, Simon. I don't know what that means. I'm a simple man. I try to keep it down on a basic level. He, the NLT, the New Living Translation, I think did a good job of kind of putting these in, in a term that we would understand. And he says this, sexual immorality. That's the junk drawer for anything that is outside of the context of one man and one woman in marriage. That's, that's the junk drawer, like anything outside of that, that's sexual immorality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. You might be looking at that list right now, and there might be a word or two that's really jumping off the screen at you. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit loves you enough to tell you that this is an area where you're struggling. That this is an area where you are in bondage. That this is an area where you've bought into the lies of the world and what it says versus what God's word says. The funny part is if you were to keep reading, 
The next section is the fruits of the Spirit. And it tells us what those are. Love, peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And what he's saying is there's a contrast there. And you need to understand, you have to submit to something. Are you going to submit to the Spirit? Or are you going to submit to the flesh? Are you going to obey what God has said as good, right, and perfect? Or are you going to try to find your truth someplace else? The other thing is the desires of the eyes. That's the outside influence around us. I was uh, talking with my oldest son, Hawkins, a few days ago, and we were just kind of sitting around, and we were just talking about how the eyes are amazing things. They're just these little tiny orifices in our skull, but it allows everything in that we process and understand, doesn't it? Like there's so much that we see that these little, these little eyeballs let everything in. And at times, like, they are what stir up the desires of the flesh at times. They are input. They, they do direct what we do. Where we fix our gaze is where we tend to travel. Where we fix our gaze is where we tend to travel. Second Corinthians would say, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transcendent, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's funny. In life, you might be right as rain. But today is a good day. Life is good. I'm so happy. I just, I'm just, we'll say the word like, I'm at peace with the world right now. You ever been in that spot? You're like, I just, everything's great. And then you see something and everything changes. Like literally nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is that you have seen something that has changed you. I love my job. I love what I get to do. I make good money. I can provide for my family. And then you see what someone else at your work makes. Like I cannot believe they pay me this. This is an outrage. What changed? Nothing. Other than you saw something else that changed your perspective on what was going on. You might be like, I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm content with the way that I look. I'm content with my body. I'm content with the fact that, you know, this is who I am. And then you go to a gym. And you're like, I am the sloppiest human being in the entire world. I am weak and frail. Are you walked by a mirror? <laughs> You're like, no. Why would God create such an evil piece of machinery? And <laughs> are you walked by the grocery store line and all the magazines show you what pretty is and how maybe you don't tick those boxes? See, nothing's changed. You've just seen something. What the outside world is communicating is good, right, pretty, true, strong, you name it, what's smart, what's not, you get there. Your car is great. I love my car. Oh, point A to point B, never breaks down, super faithful. And then your neighbor pulls in with a new car. This old pile of junk. Honey, it's time to upgrade. Do we have an extra $60,000 laying around that I can buy a car with? Oh, yes, we do. We have many piles of money just resting all over the house. It's this idea of I want versus I need. But you know what we've done? We've gotten rid of uh, 
the I need, and everything is an I want. We always need something. I want something. I, 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 I want that so bad that we, it becomes a need in our lives. That's your sinful nature coming out. But John is telling us that as believers in Christ, we don't have to be stuck in that trap. We don't have to be under the control of the world and what it says is right because we have new eyes now. And our new eyes give us a new filter. The new filter is filtered through God's word that we would understand what he says is good, right, and perfect. See, the things that, these things, they don't bring happiness to us. Like we look at these things and we think that these things will bring us joy. They'll make me complete. And we just keep going after things and it never does the thing that we want. We need to turn our gaze back to Christ. He is all we need. If there is an eternity, and this is very temporal where we are now, play the long game. Don't play the short game. Then he says this, the pride of life. The desires of the flesh are from the heart. The desires of the eyes are from the world. And the pride of life is what flows from our mouth and what we actually believe. It's the boasting of self. The pointing to my greatness and not pointing to the one who is truly great. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look how amazing I am. Look at the money that I've accumulated. And we boast and we talk about our wondrous deeds and how we should be worshipped and we should be glorified. You're like, well, I don't want anyone to worship me. But you want the compliment. You want the acknowledgement, don't you? That is you looking for worship. That is you looking for glory where that glory deserves to be someplace else. Actually, in the book of Genesis, Genesis eleven four, we see this moment that takes place where it's just so obvious what's happening because, well, they tell us. And in chapter 11... Verse 4 of Genesis, and this is Tower of Babel. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They wanted to be the ones that were glorified. They wanted to be the important ones. And we know how the story ends. God's like, no. Confuses their language and they're like, oh. Why? Because only God is worthy of praise and honor. Because only he is perfect. We do the same thing, sorry, with Adam and Eve, and it's every person throughout history. We want to make gods unto ourselves so we'll be made important. It's funny. The Bible actually tells us what we should boast in, what we should brag. I'm not going to read them, but I'll give you four. They're in our sermon notes on our app. You can go and grab that, and you can see all that. Um, please feel free to look those up later. Jeremiah 9, 24, 1 Corinthians 1, 31, Psalm 44, 8, Ephesians 2, actually 8 through 9. I think it just says 9 up there, but it's 8 through 9. Boast in the Lord. Like, boasting in yourself is... Probably one of the most anti-gospel things you could potentially do in your life. 
If we were dead in our trespasses and God came and saved us out of his own grace, out of his own mercy, why would we boast in anything? It's crazy to think that we've, all we bring to the equation is sin. You're like, well, I'm bring, you bring something, all right. You're bringing the problem. I brought the problem. We all bring the problem. But we try to take credit if there's something great about us. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm awesome. That's why God saved me. No. I used to laugh all the time. It's like when we take credit for things that we just don't have any, we can't do anything. So um, I love my boys, and I'm going to kind of throw them under the bus a little bit right now, is that they used to buy me gifts when they were really little. You know how funny that is? Dad, I bought you a gift. No, you didn't. You took my money and bought me something with it. <laughs> you didn't buy me anything. I will buy my own thing if I want it. But you know what I did? Thank you guys. This is awesome. I love you guys. I, I'm so grateful that you would think of me. See, when we try to take credit for what's gone on in salvation, what's gone on in our lives, we're just like a kid who's trying to take credit for a gift that he bought his dad or his mom with their money. It's foolish. But this is what we do. We think inherently that we need to be there, and that's the beauty of grace, that we didn't earn it or deserve it. It's a gift from God, which is why he gets the glory. That's the whole point. What we really deserve, I mean, if we can just be honest, we deserve his wrath for rebelling against God, for turning our backs on God, for not trusting in God, for thinking that we're smarter than God. We deserve punishment. But because God is so good, he sent his son to take our place. He became our substitution. So we wouldn't have to die. So we wouldn't have to be separated from him. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he was separated from the father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on Jesus. He had been in intimate relationship forever with God. And in that moment, he felt the separation that we deserved. He had the full wrath of God poured out on him, and he died in our place. So we deserve that. We should have gotten that. But anyone who calls on the name of Jesus doesn't have to have that punishment because Jesus fulfilled it on the cross for anyone who places their life in Jesus' life. That's the beauty of the gospel. And then this is, this is what happens in verse 17. There's this shift that he's going to make, and I think it's important for us to see here. And he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All these things that we put our hope in, all these beliefs of the world and how it functions and how it thinks is right and wrong, we think that it's going to bring us joy. It's going to bring pleasure to our life. It's gonna, we're going to have all this happiness, but it's just like asbestos. And if you've lived long enough and you've felt what it means to chase after the things that the world calls as good, you have felt the disappointment. Am I the only one here that's felt the disappointment of trying to follow the world and listen to the world, thinking that it's going to bring me joy and being let down time and time again with its empty promises that don't fulfill? And what John is saying is that all of this is going to fade away. 
It's not eternal. And, and this is where I think that John is probably like, Gah! you guys, we all are looking for eternal life. Every one of us is looking for eternal life, that there's some kind of purpose to our lives that will last for forever. But then what we do is we attach ourselves to temporal things. These things that we know aren't going, buildings will disintegrate, bridges rust, clothes fade away, gravity wins with looks. I'm sorry, gravity always wins. <laughs> we know that it doesn't last, yet we think, well, I want eternal life, I'm going to grab these non-eternal things. And what John is saying is if you want eternal life, you must be connected to something that's eternal. Jesus is eternal. That's the whole point. If you want eternal life, be connected to the eternal thing. If you want a temporal life, connect yourself to temporal stuff. What do I do with all this? We got to land the plane here. I was flying over Tennessee and I was writing the sermon on the way there on the way back because, well, you have nothing to do and you're stuck in a spot, so you might as well just do some work. And I'm looking out the window. And I'm, you know, 25, 30,000 feet in the air. And you can see everything. You can see how the mountain ranges work. You can see hidden paths of the mountain ranges. You can see how the river flows. You can see where there's waterfalls. You can see where there's dams. You can see where there's danger. You can watch the road and where it goes. You can, see, you can literally see traffic from that high and when there's a problem. John is saying, I have walked with Jesus for so long. I've experienced Jesus so much that I understand things you can't see. And his years of walking with Jesus is just like altitude in a plane. And he can see the dangers that lie ahead. And he loves these men and women so much that he's willing to say, there is a danger if you keep walking these roads, if you believe these lies from these false teachers, you will be separated from God. You will not know him because you're putting your value in something that's not of God. You lose the intimacy that you crave so desperately. Trust and believe and obey the Savior with our hearts, with our eyes, and with our mouth. And as we were walking away, I just want to give us something to think about. I want, I want to give us some questions to kind of like, like in your life groups this week, maybe later today, maybe when you're kind of by yourself and you want to kind of like, this is, these, are, these are just diagnostic questions for your life. You're like, do I love the world more than God? Well, here's some questions that might be helpful. Does outward prosperity appeal more than growth and godliness? This one, I think, is the one that jumped off the page for me. I'll just throw my cards on the table. Do you crave the approval of those around you because you value them and their thoughts and their opinions and their ideas more than God's? Because God's already told us how he sees us. John already told us that. Three, do you go to great lengths to avoid looking foolish or being rejected for your Christian faith? Because what you're saying is that you're ashamed of who God is. And you think that he's foolish if you're attached to him. Do you consider present material results more important than eternal rewards? Have you departed from God and adopted idols instead? And you're like, I don't have any idols in my life. Well, here's what I mean by that. 
Are you looking for something other than God to bring you joy? And by the way, those can be a lot of good things. Family, friends, spouse, kids, working. Those, those aren't bad things. But are you looking to those for your joy and your contentment in life? And you might be like, okay, Simon, fine, you got me. You got me. Yes, the first list, things jumped off of that. The second list, you got things that jump. Okay, you got me. So what do I do? I got all these desires. I don't know what to do with it. Well, here's the thing. We at times go, well, I'm just going to stop doing that thing. You know what the problem is? We have these desires. We're always looking for something better. We're looking for something that's, that's the best of whatever. That's why we keep getting new phones. That's why my iPhone 12 is a pile of garbage. I must get the 13 because it's better. If you want the desires in these areas of your life to go away, you actually need to desire something better than that which you're looking for right now. And here's the thing. Shocker, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything else that you could desire. He is better than desires of your heart. Jesus lasts forever. I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. His love has no ending. It has no limits to who he can love, how he loves, and when he loves. His grace has no ends. You can't out God's grace. You don't have the capacity. The work of the cross was too powerful. He gives eternal life with him. He will never leave you or forsake you. So what do we do? We cry out to him alone, admitting that our ways are wrong and his ways are right. And as we gaze upon Jesus, as we look at Jesus and we understand who he is, those desires start to lose their luster. They start to lose their shine. And you realize that Jesus is the only thing worth pursuing. My question today for you is what are you looking at for your desires? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to come and to share these hard truths that even I, I have been wrestling through them all week as I think about it. And, and you've pressed on me and you've pushed on me. Lord, I ask that there are men and women here today that they would look at these questions and they would go, where am I believing the world's ways, its values, its morals, its beliefs, its system of what's right and wrong? May they hold up the truth of your word and what you say is right and wrong. May they repent and confess those areas and just simply say, I was wrong, Lord. You are right. And that they would be obedient to following you because you know the dangers of not trusting you and holding on to temporal things versus holding on to eternal things. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Work this morning. I pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.